Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Jean, while Amanda will be live tweeting the show. Hi, Jean. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm very good. Thank you very much. I hope it's a little warmer out there out west than it is here. We're, I think we're at the three-degree mark. I, I think what happened is you got both of our winters and we got none. Yes. That's what happened. <laughs> I think you're probably right. The leaves are coming out. I'm in Canada, for goodness sake. What is going uh, on? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's been crazy. Well, I think uh, Amanda and Ellie, who's got the night off tonight, they've been doing a lot of shoveling, so the snow is falling. Um, Shout out to our friends down in New Zealand who I know are listening from uh, Mrs. D's community down there. They're in their hot summer, so wish we had some of that, but... Anyway, welcome. We're always trying to think of topics that are compelling to our listeners, but the heart of every show is our guests and their recovery stories. Everyone who participates on the show is a volunteer whose willingness to honestly share their experience, strength, and hope helps keep us all sober. So tonight will be an open format episode in the style of a speaker or discussion meeting where one guest shares their recovery story. And regular listeners will remember our guest, Lisa B., who's yet another uh, speaker meeting guest named Lisa. I think we've had three in a row, and so I guess Lisa is a good name for a recovery person. Um, Got a lot of good recovery in the Lisa communities. Um, But Lisa B., she was our guest on the Perfectionism episode on June 8, 2014, and she had just celebrated 90 days of continuous sobriety at that time, and she's still rocking the road of recovery today. So welcome back to the show, Lisa. Thank you. So glad to have you back. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. It's really exciting. It is exciting. And so how long, what's your count now? Well, I just, I've just hit my 11 month mark. So March Mm. 9th is my one year anniversary. And I, um, I'm just thrilled to have been able to make it this far. It's been, it's been fabulous, really. Uh, well, that's amazing. The beginning. It is now. <laughs> yeah. Well, really looking forward to you know hearing what the last eleven months have been like, and you know where you you were and where you are now, and how you've been doing it. So um, I think it's helpful if you reintroduce yourself. Some of our guests may not have heard your story last time. So um, why don't you start by telling us a little of your story? Okay. Sure. Well, I. Um... I'm a mom and, and a wife. I have two young girls that are in, uh, one is going to be in middle school and the other one's going to be going into our last year of middle school. So we're a busy family. Um, I run a business. And um, up until a year ago, life was just going along normal in my mind. And normal for me was 
kicking back every evening with my husband and drinking wine. And um, I did. I've been doing that for quite a bit. And <clears throat> about a year before I decided to get sober, um, it really just started honing in on me that it was getting out of control. The drinking, although I didn't feel like it was an issue outwardly to everyone that saw me from the outside, I felt like something wasn't quite right and that I was drinking more than I should. And I found myself questioning that on a pretty regular basis because I'd end up having a bottle of wine and thinking, God, I just drank a bottle of wine. I can't believe I just I just did that. And um, it it just got to the point where I was questioning it more and more and more. And finally, I started doing some research on it and came across Jean's blog and read it pretty much almost in a (laughs) (laughs) 24-hour straight. I just sat and read through every single post and realized that I had a connection to her. And and that was, it was different for me because I did not picture alcoholism as me. I thought that you could visibly see somebody that was an alcoholic from the outside. I thought you could tell. And I didn't realize that just partying a little bit too hard once in a while and um, making a fool of myself once in a while was okay. I thought that was okay. I didn't see that as a problem. But I knew in my heart it was. And then when I found Jean's blog and saw that she was saying the same things that I was thinking, I was like, you know, definitely there's there's something to be said with what's going on here. So I reached out to her and, um, you know, that story... Is, is really kind of special to me because we had we had a moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, actually, it was on our moment was on March eighth, and uh, I had reached out to her for help, and 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 she reached back right away, and it was it was just a really special kind of a spiritual connection to somebody that I'd never even met before, but it meant a lot to me. So after that had happened, um, I. I decided to get sober, and then I was manic. I mean, just absolutely crazed when I made the decision because it was one of those choices where I was, you know, I went, went for a run, and as I was running, I was like, okay, I need to make a choice here. I'm either going to totally change my life and not be a social drinker and a drinker with my husband at night, um, or I'm... I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing and feeling bad about it the next day. And making that choice was just, um, it, it was life-altering, but it, was, it, it, put, it put me in a state of just pure mania. I was completely, um, felt like I was out of control. I didn't know who I was. It was just, it was so, it was really, really scary and then I reached out and I told my family, I told everybody, I made this announcement through an email to my family saying, oh my gosh, I'm an alcoholic, I need to quit drinking. And um, the thing that was so tough about that is over the last 11 months, nobody believes me. <laughs> I mean, even today, <laughs> nobody believes that. And that's, it's so frustrating because I feel like, um, you know, Jean had recently wrote something on her blog, Acute versus Chronic, and it was poignant. Because it, if, if I had said I have 
diabetes or I have cancer, if I had any other disease, no one would ever question me. They would believe me. So why is it when I'm coming to you and saying, I have a problem, you don't believe me? I mean, that just, for me, um, not having those outward signs to show people, yes, indeed, I am an alcoholic, but I know it deep inside, it has been really, really frustrating. And I got and Lisa, can I, I like, yeah, no, can no. I just say, make an observation too? This is Catherine, and I do want to mention for listeners who might not know that Jean's blog is called Unpickled. Um, you can find a link to that on our website. Um, but you know, it's it's so interesting when you said you said I found myself I would drink a bottle of wine and sit there and think, wow, I just drank a bottle of wine, and I know that I'm an alcoholic because the alcoholic in me said oh, what's, what's the big deal? It's only a bottle of wine. Like that, that's what popped up into my little brain while you were talking. And I just thought to myself, like, that's not normal. Like a normal drinker would never have that thought, right? <laughs> Even though on the yeah. outside I might not look like the stigma um, idea of an alcoholic, but yet I know because there's a little voice in my head that said, big deal, it's only a bottle, <laughs> Well, somebody said to me one time who had quit drinking, um, a high-profile family friend said he had quit drinking, and I asked him about it. And I said to him kind of casually with a glass of wine in my hand, sometimes I think I drink too much. And he looked at me and he said, if you're thinking about it, you probably are. And that's Mm -hmm. what resonates with me because... You know, I don't think anybody that is is not does not have a problem with alcohol ever questions it. And as soon as you start questioning it, yes, there's a problem because you're questioning it. Clearly, mm-hmm. if you're questioning it, there's a problem. There's a, there's a funny thing about Google. You know, it says like, you know, am I an alcoholic? And you know, it says you've asked me a hundred times. Yes, <laughs> I've already told you. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I, this is Jean, Lisa. I can attest to the fact that um, people that write blogs will know this, but um, or anyone with a website. But your web page usually tells you what people searched that led them to your page, and I can attest to the fact that every single day, multiple people around this planet sit down and type in, "Am I an alcoholic? How do I know if I'm mm-hmm. an alcoholic?" I, I mean, it, every single day, people are asking themselves that question. We feel so alone, but we're not alone. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard when the normal drinkers around us, like our family members or friends, don't don't believe us. So so how have you dealt with that, Lisa? Or does it matter? I, well, it um it has mattered to me if I'm I can try to answer that very honestly, that yes, I still care what people think. For sure I do. Um mm-hmm. but they're not going to make me happy or sad about it. That's different for me. Because before I mm-hmm. expected what, what what they thought was going to help change how I felt. And it really doesn't. I have found that for me, I really have the ability to change how I think about things on my own. Wow. So um, it, it is important. But what I've, I've done, I mean, I and screamed and like I was really really vocal with my family like I'm not kidding like I have a problem I remember having a conversation with my sister and I said to her you know what do you think and she's like well maybe you're just trying to get attention I'm like really do you think (laughs) that I was 
stop drinking my wine to get attention? I mean, that is the most bizarre, craziest thing that I've ever heard. Why would why would I put myself through this? You know, I, I mean, really. I have to give you credit, Lisa. This is Jean. I I have to give you credit for hanging in there despite those kinds of comments because that mm-hmm. type of skepticism and pushback because it could be that they're really not you're holding a mirror up to them and that makes them uncomfortable. Um, that really undermines a lot of people's recovery. I think it's a credit to you that you have stayed the course in spite of, you know, really being undermined in your recovery. Um, Well, I haven't done it alone, that's for sure. I've had a lot of support in my life, and the support that I've received isn't necessarily from the people who you would expect it to come from. (laughs) So I think that that's key. In fact, I, I shouldn't even say I think. I know it, it is key. And, and that community of people, I have a, a gratitude group who I love and adore, and I've never met not one of them in person. But they have carried me through to where I am today. I would not be here without them. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So you, you kind of you got to your point in March of last year and said, okay, I'm done. You send the email to the family. And then, you know, how did you embark on building a community and, and and what's the last 11 months been like for you? Yeah. So it was, it was in the beginning, it was scary and it was manic. And I just started trying to grab hold of anything that I could information wise, because I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I knew that I needed some extra help and extra support because the people around me hadn't been through that, and they didn't know what to do. You know, they didn't, like, my husband didn't know what to do to help me. I mean, nobody really knew what to do or realized how bad it was for me inside my head. So I just, I was grasping at straws. I was doing research on the Internet. I was going to the library. I was just taking any kind of information that I could get, and then with a very open mind, just started testing, okay, what's going to work for me? I found an online community that supported me in the very beginning, were fabulous and helpful and um, loving. And um, through that community, I found a group of um, people that is, I think there's eight of us now, that um, on a regular basis, we have a secret group that uh, we can go online and talk to each other and support each other. And that's on a daily basis. And we post our gratitudes, what we're grateful for each day. And sometimes it's really hard to figure out what you're grateful for because you've got some tough stuff going on in your life. But um, they've been a valuable tool for me. And I've been, you know, the other thing, like all of the different things that I tried, there were I did try going to a meeting um, that was not the right atmosphere for me, and I realized that pretty quickly. So if there's one thing that I can say, I know myself really, really well. I, mean, I was the one that came to the conclusion that I had a problem. Nobody else came to me and said, okay, Lisa, you've got a problem. So finding my recovery tools really was going to be up to me too, and I just started testing as many things as I could. So my gratitude group was one of them. Um, I started to Lisa. I, I can to, can you can yeah. I ask you a question about the gratitude group? Just because we've, yeah. we've talked about that on the show before, and if anybody's one, out there listening and wondering, 
what what does she mean by a secret group? Like, what are the nuts and bolts of that? How do you, how did you set it up? So we we have um, it's a private group on Facebook that only we can see. The members of the group can see, and um, each of us go on and we, we we met each other through an online support community, and and all were kind of invited each other. Do you want to come and do this? Is this something that you would you would um, be interested in doing, and those of us that were joined the group, and we go online each day and post a gratitude or sometimes several gratitudes for that particular day, and then the rest of the group comes in and they support that person, whatever they said. They try to give some feedback and some some comments. Sometimes you don't have time to do that, but most of the time, most days, we are actively involved in each other's lives from a very loving, supportive um, uh, dialogue. That's amazing. So what a gift. Does that, does, that answer, does that answer how it kind of formed? Yeah, I think it's great. Just in, just in case anybody's out there saying, I don't know where to start, that's the topple to know. And that just yeah. sounds like a really beautiful, beautiful community. Well, it, it is, and I think the thing is, is we feel safe with one another. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we would have been felt so, or we would feel as free as we do to talk to each other in the way that we do, if we had known each other prior, or if we knew each other on a regular basis. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, if it was one of my neighbors, or if it was a best friend, or a family member. I'm not sure we'd be able to let go the way that we do with each other because then I feel like something gets in the way that you, you almost feel not safe to share. And because we are at such a distance from each other and not necessarily really involved in each other's lives physically, we're very open with our thoughts and feelings. And as we've gotten closer and had an opportunity to find that we can trust one another and that the dialogue that's going on between us is all positive. I mean, it's all positive. There's not, we're not complaining yeah. to each other. And if we are complaining, it's, okay, here's my complaint. I'm having a really tough time today. I need help. I need you to lift me up. Or I think this is how I can lift myself up, but do you think I'm doing the right thing here? And mm-hmm. the rest of the group will come, kind of come in and serve as a, as a safety net to not let any of us fall through it. And so that we ne- we're never feeling alone either in the whole process. Yeah, and and Jean, you've made the observation that you know the the World Wide Web has just opened up avenues for recovery and building community. Well, re- I guess community and all kinds of things, not just sobriety, but for us, it's just opened up new avenues of helping us get well that didn't exist ever before. It's amazing. It's, tr- it's true. It, it, I think it allows people to start reaching out earlier than they might otherwise um, and, and feeling sort of safe. I mean, the flip side to what Lisa's talking about of feeling safe to be vulnerable and say what's wrong is that other people in the group also feel safe to give you some honest feedback and not worry about, you know, this is my kid's teacher or something, you know. Right. Um, yeah. So there, there's sort of a level of of back and forth there that's nice. But I think what's key is that it works as long as the participants hold themselves accountable. So the downside of the web is that 
you know, people can also hide behind it and sort of live a double life to some extent. So it it doesn't it doesn't work if you're doing that. But Lisa has really committed to this group and has committed to a high level of honesty in her interactions with it and and trust with these other participants. And I think that's the key to it too, is that it's got to yeah. come with a high level of sort of integrity at how you're approaching it. I agree, and and somehow the stars aligned for mm-hmm. all of us that are in this group. We're very different people. All of us are very different. We're all we're all over the country, but um, we are very honest with one another. I believe so. Anyway, I have no reason to believe not. We've we've had a couple people who have slipped slipped up um, and come to the group and said, "Hey, I slipped up. I'm back on day one," and that to me means more than any other thing that they could say because they're, you know, they're just showing true colors, totally opening themselves up to, I'm not, I, I'm not perfect here and I'm not going to put on a facade. Here's who I am. Lisa, right. do you find that as much as your group is all different, um, that it, there's still sort of some core similarities that, that ring true for everyone, that there's sort of some unifying patterns of behavior that that's kind of been my greatest revelation in recovery is that oh my gosh we're all so much the same and it's really powerful to discover that are you seeing that in your group as well it definitely yes there's lots of similarities but there are, there are a lot of differences too and i think that's what makes me love them so much right yeah you know we're also we're still our own people we're still all unique but we come together for this one common common um, cause, and, and that's really to stay sober, but it's become so much more than that, for me anyway. It's become a lot more than just that. It was in the beginning. Today it's more right. about, you know, these people that I really care about, and I'm, you know, I I um, want to continue to be accountable to them from all aspects of my life. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's good to be able to have um, sounding board sometimes if you're questioning something else in your life. Right. And I don't right. have one, so it's like I don't have I don't have one sponsor, I have seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. Definitely. Gorgeous. So the gratitude group was a, a big thing that helped for that helped me that's helped me through, and then I just found lots of other little things that would make me feel comfortable and you know kind of soothe me throughout <laughs> the last couple of months. And what are How some of those things? How you felt your yeah, and like what are the accompanying kind of emotions? Because you started by saying you felt manic in the beginning. So what's the yeah. arc of yes? In the, oh, in the beginning, too. when I first decided to get sober, I was feeling just crazy out of my skin. And uh, there were actually a couple of days that I couldn't even get out of bed. It was, mm-hmm. And that's not that's never been an issue for me before. I've been a pretty happy person in general. Um, I, I thought so anyway. And so to now experience those things after I stopped drinking was really, really scary. It was really scary. And um, so I, I think talking to people like you guys and talking to my gratitude group and talking to the online community and having other people there to say, it's okay, this is normal, um, you're, you know, what, what you're experiencing is um, very normal and 
you'll get through it, that definitely helped. And then, you know, I started, I, I was a runner, and I hurt myself, so I was forced to start walking, and then I started doing some hiking, and I found some nature, some really, really beautiful nature, nature trails all around my home that I'd never really taken advantage of before. And um, I found the time out there was really healing for me. So on the days, well, I really try to make it a daily, a daily thing. It's hard to do now with this. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been out there in a while. It's right. so cold. But um, when the weather is decent, that is what I do for my mental health. I go out and I walk, and I try to get in the woods if I can because that's where I find just some peace. I read this great quote that I can't repeat on on the air that um, Eminem, the rapper, said he's, he's in recovery and he has a friend in recovery in Elton John. And Elton John had said to him, like, go out and look at some mother effing leaves and, like, <laughs> go go walk and look at the leaves and, like, notice SHIT in nature. And so he did, and he's like, I went out and I saw all these effing leaves that I'd never noticed before. And, and it's like, yeah. it's true. There's a world, and it's so beautiful, and it's that's like a cathedral out there, you know, in the – in the woods and like I can really appreciate how that would feed your your whole spirit and body mind and you know everything. Well and the gratitude starts to make you look at those things too. When you start a gratitude practice, it starts to make you look at the things that have been in front of you all along that don't cost a cent that are so um uh, beautiful. I wish I had a bigger word for that. But, you know, I mean, just mm-hmm. we were on vacation this summer. It was my first big sober vacation. I went out for a walk with my husband every morning. We went and watched the sunrise. I'd never gotten up early enough to go do that before I because I was hungover. So to, right. to go and sit on the beach and watch the sunrise, we did it every day. We were on vacation. It was brilliant. It was just absolutely magnificent to do that mm-hmm. or to, to take – just to to take the 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 feeling of you know your daughter's hand in yours and really feel it as you're sitting there with her hand in your hand and and feel the warmth of it and the touch of it and her skin on yours. I mean those are things that I just never really really um, evaluated before or thought about. It was just there, it just happened. Mm-hmm. Now you know at those kinds of things I don't take for those for granted anymore. I really see them from a different perspective. Yeah, because the drinking dulls all of that, doesn't it? Yeah, but I wouldn't have told you that a year ago. No, right. I mean, I probably <laughs> wouldn't even have known that that was happening, that I was missing out on things or that it was dulling emotions or actually keeping me separate from people and experiences. I, I didn't. I don't think I understood that until I got sober. I didn't either. And if you'd had asked yeah. me at the time, are you living a full life, I would have said, absolutely, I have a wonderfully full, beautiful life. Today, that life is so different. It's just I, so much more grand. Mm-hmm. Is it, are, are, are you different or is your life different? That's, that's a good point, Jean. I'm different, no question. I'm different. Um, the things that happen in my life are different, but it's because I change them. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm not running around and racing around trying to get all of these things accomplished through the day anymore because I realized that that doesn't work for me. So right. I had to stop doing some things that weren't working for me. I, I stopped volunteering altogether for a year. I, I gave myself a year to do that. And um, we're getting ready for a big move now, so I'm not going to volunteer anymore now. <laughs> I have another excuse. Um but I, I will say, I will say that with a caveat, there are things that I've been asked to do that I do with absolute pleasure and love because I want to before I was doing those things because I thought I needed to or I cared about how I was viewed from our community. I wanted to be viewed a certain way. Today, you know, I, I do the best that I can. And ultimately, I have a lot more to give because of that. Yeah, that was a big part of your share on the on the perfectionism episode was the amount of activity that you were getting wrapped up in. Um, and and I like how you just said that just now, how it was about kind of maintaining appearances for everybody else and resonates with me. That was that was me in my own ways as well. This is Jean. Yeah. Um, it it. Re- it reminds me of the Brené Brown expression, hustling for your worthiness. When you got to yeah. get out there, you got to hustle for your mm. worthiness. And Lisa mm-hmm. and I are both recovering uh, perfectionists, recovering hustlers <laughs> for our worthiness. I better, I better clarify that. And um, and it is a game changer, isn't it, Lisa? Um, when you realize oh, that definitely. it just, you know, none of that, none of that even matters. Well, it's just, you you know, you think that you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one. They need you, whoever they is at that moment. It can be anybody. It can be your church or your school or, you know, your, sometimes even your family. And, um, and, and the fact is that they will find somebody else to do that job so that you can take care of yourself, which is, you know, I, I made myself a priority this year, and that was a difference. You know, I made myself a priority, and I think that it's important to say that that's not a selfish thing to do, that Mm -hmm. I did that so that I could give more to the people that I love and I care about and who have earned my time, quite frankly, because Mm -hmm. I was giving myself to a lot of people who really didn't necessarily deserve it. Yeah. Uh, I read an interesting piece recently that talked about when we are giving things to people, doing things for people that they haven't asked for, that they don't necessarily don't necessarily need, but we're fulfilling our need to be needed or to, you know, indebt people right. to us or show them how awesome we are. Um, right. We're really kind of setting ourselves up for a drama triangle and for being either a victim or a hero or a persecutor, you know, that triangle we've talked about yeah. it on the show before. Yeah. And it's, and it's really kind of an unconscious way to 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 set ourselves up or to cast ourselves in a role that controls our location in the drama. And we don't even yeah. know we're doing it. I mean, we just think, you can't criticize me. I'm decorating for the school dance. I'm cooking turkeys for this turkey dinner. I'm doing all these things. No one can criticize me for that. <laughs> I'm beyond right. criticism. But really, it it is all kinds of hurtful to ourselves when it's, coming from the wrong place for the Definitely. wrong Well, and I think even and thinking that somebody is criticizing you, because ultimately, most of the time, they're not even looking at you. Right. <laughs> they're not even, they don't even like, know about you. 
So we're sort of trying to preventatively fend off imaginary criticism that's coming from within ourselves. It's that shame identity. Yes. Well, and and all of all of that stuff is so triggery for so many of us. I mean, we hear about this on the show all the time. Mm -hmm. That that need for approval, that um, need to maintain the face of you know I'm okay and everything's fine. whatever it is like that that hustling for for worthiness um that's such a big trigger i know that i drank over that that was a big thing for me mm-hmm. and so part of what we're talking about here too is understanding what our triggers are you know yeah. so like feeling our way through the process of recovery and as lisa is saying finding the tools that work for us that's also because those are the things that get at, you know, what our triggers are. Um, so that's, that's really helpful. And, Lisa, you started to say something, too, about um, the the self-care piece and how important it is, but how you, you started to say about, you know, writing it off. It, it's easy to, to write it off as being um, not a priority. And I know that was a topic that we talked about you know, introducing here on the show and, um, you know, interested in your perspective on that. Well, I, I think that it's crucial to survival, ultimately. I really do believe that because if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't possibly take care of anyone else fully. Um, so it's, you know, as a mom, that is a really tough sell. That's a really tough sell because, yeah. you know, if, if, if I were listening to this show... Uh, a year ago or even two years ago, I would have said, you know, baloney, I don't have time for it. I've got a family to take care of, I've got dinner to make, I have all, you know, I have, I have, I have. I've got to do all this. I don't have time for self-care. I don't have time for a hot bath. I don't have time for a walk. Um, and what I say to that is, yes, you do. And mm-hmm. you have to make, you have to find the time. So maybe it means you're turning the television off at 8 o'clock or the kids are in bed at 8.30 saying, okay, I'm done too. I'm going to go take care of myself right now. I'm going to go do something special for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run a really nice bath and put on some spa music in the, you know, in the, in the bathroom and light a candle. I'm going to um, maybe get up earlier in the morning before anybody's up and just have some quiet time in the house alone. I just feel like there's a lot of excuses not to take care of yourself, and as a mom it's really, really easy to do that. I have found that the more I take care of myself, the more energy and time I have for everybody else. Mm-hmm. We hear this a lot, but it's really um, it's a great reminder what they tell you uh, during the safety blurb on an airplane about putting on your oxygen mask. What do they say? Mm-hmm. If you're traveling with children, who do you put on first, that yours or theirs? Yours. Yeah, do yours, yours first. Right. Yours, because if you right. pass out, you can't help them. <laughs> you yeah. always have to look after your own oxygen first. And in our case, literally pass out. Yeah. When you're still drinking. <laughs> well, and I, I think well, self-care I think... is what we were trying to do when we were drinking. It's. It was a. I think it was a really maladaptive coping strategy of really, um, and it's it's sold to us as self-care. Um, you know, we even. It's even sort of there's some crappy science that tells us that it's good for you to have a glass of wine a day. So I, I actually think there's a lot of moms who 
are drinking as a as a attempt at self care. And absolutely, um, and that, that was gets a luxury them into for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a luxury to say I'm going to go have my glass of wine now. That turned into four, five, right? So, oh, yeah. You know, that, yeah. but that was my time. That was my time. This is my time. And look, I can be a mom. I can make dinner. I can help the kids with their homework and self care. Boom. Got you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's right. So it's multitasking. Like. Self care. Oh, I've got it. I'm cranking um, it all out, sister. Yeah. Don't even. <laughs> Don't even yeah. touch me. I got it. <laughs> you know, and there's all this marketing around that too. That Ann Dowsa Johnson, who's been on the show before, talking about her her book drink about uh, I forget the exact subtitle but you know women's relationship to alcohol that the the marketing is geared towards you know mommy's little helper it used to be Valium and now it's you know wine and in some cases literally that's how it's labeled and marketed right. mommy juice um, yeah mommy juice were sold on this um, you know this message of that so and you know, I've I've also talked on the show too about self care being. I don't have kids, so that's that's not part of my story. But um, how coming out of a trauma background, how I actually did not learn, I didn't know self care. I mean, I just didn't have enough of my own internal worthiness that I I would forget to eat. I didn't. Even, I wasn't even eating. it was bizarre. I was afraid to go to sleep. So, you know, when we talk about halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired as being our four kind of easy to identify quick triggers to check for if we're feeling a craving, I mean, hungry and tired were major ones for me. And I figured out that they're a big root of my anxiety problems that I had historically suffered from. So that's just sort of another... Um, you know, kind of piece of this self-care puzzle that I just put out there in case anybody listening resonates with that. Just, it's funny how basic that is, right? Like, I know. (laughs) Eating is self-care. Eating is self-care. And it, and the thing was, was that then I would not eat and then I would work more and then I would get anxious and resentful and tired because I was working so much and then that would build up in my head as I deserve it. And then I needed sort of a release valve. And then even, even if I just thought that I was going to have one and it progressed, right, it got more and more urgent and my, any sort of limitations kind of would go out the window faster, but you know, then it would turn into four or five and you know, a blackout and then a hangover the next day and then it would, then it would compound, you know. So, so how do you make room for that now, Lisa? I mean, it sounds like you've just sort of, first of all, drawn the line in your head. It's like, okay, this is a non-negotiable. These are table stakes, like my self-care are, yeah. Well, and I, I will also say I have a husband who is extremely supportive and understanding um, as I have tested all the different tools along the way. Because, I mean, there's times he comes in, I'm sitting in a dark room trying to, you know, listening to meditation. And I've got a blanket over my shoulders and I've got candles lit. And he's like, who is this? Who is this person that 
he's turned into. You know, I mean, I love really, it. Times he's probably like, holy cow, what is going on with this woman? Fortunately, fortunately, and I, I really have to give him a lot of credit. He has not um, judged me in in any way during this. Certainly, it was very scary for him in the beginning because we were drunk. We were drunken buddies. We were drinking buddies. Drunken buddies yeah. is probably a better word, but we were drinking buddies, and that was very scary for him. But he supported my decision, and after a lot of kicking and screaming, me jumping up and down and saying, "Look, I am not kidding. I am not okay." He finally got it, and mm-hmm. he's really supportive of me being able to do those things. So at night, go to bed. There's a lot of times, even still, but definitely in the early months when I was going to bed at 7.30 at night just saying, I just can't sit here on the sofa with you because this is where I would sit and drink with you. And I can't mm-hmm. do that. So um, taking myself to bed and, and not having him be resentful about that or chastise me for doing that, having him understand and say, okay, that's what you need to do, then you need to go do it, has been um, a big thing. Just kind of giving myself some space and that's, I think that's another key. It's definitely one of my big gratitudes is space is so important for me. Physical space, space in my mind, space in my day. I was jam-packed full in every way on every level. I was jam-packed in my home, in my body, and in my life. And um, being able to declutter the house, getting ready for the move has been a big help in doing that. I never thought that I was somebody that kept a lot of clutter. Really, anyone that knows me would say, that's ridiculous. But I had my own clutter. Getting rid of that, physical clutter, making time in my day that I I don't have meeting after meeting after meeting. The kids have to go to one thing after another, that I have some space in there for adjustment, for a hiccup um, that has helped. And then just having some 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 space in my mind, not having my mind to impact all the time, sometimes just getting it out on a journal or in words or talking to somebody and then allowing myself to have some quiet downtime, even if it's 10 minutes to just be quiet and not read anything on the Internet or look at my phone or whatever. Um, I could deal that time whenever I can. So if my daughter has to dance, dance for an hour, I won't come home and then go back and pick her up, I'll sit in the car and I'll either and wait and I'll either read or I'll have some quiet time with the radio on or whatever it may be. But I steal time for myself. Did you find before, Lisa, that you, did you have fear of that kind of space or quiet? Um, it, like was that, was what was behind some of the, the constantly revving of the engine or? I was brought up that you, at least I thought, I thought in my mind, my parents looked at what I, who I was based on what I did. And that always meant being busy and accomplishing something. You didn't go take an afternoon nap. You didn't laze around. You constantly proved yourself, so to speak. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 44 mm-hmm. years is trying to prove myself to people who don't even live near me or with me anymore, which is, you know, I mean, that's ultimately what it, what it was. And until I kind of tackled that, I don't know that it was necessarily a fear, um, but it was me realizing that 
I I'm on this treadmill trying to <laughs> trying to get somewhere. I'm not going to go anywhere. They're not even looking. They're never going to look. I need to stop this, you know, dog and pony show and realize that yeah. I I can be um, my own cheerleader. And that well, and maybe that's, this that's okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe this hustling for worthiness is a fear that we're not worthy, and we are just by into the fact that we're walking around on the planet, we have a value. Yeah. That was hard for me to understand. Um, but that that whole, just, just when you were describing, like, space, it just made me take a huge breath, and I just felt big relief when you said that. That was really, really beautiful of, like, space in your body and your mind and your home, and I love it. Well, thank you. I think it's an important. I really think it's an important concept. Yeah, I really do. Because when you're so full and you're packed so tight, you really have no room to 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 breathe. So when you make that that airiness about you, however that may be, you suddenly can take that really deep breath, and yes, that's what your body needs. So. Anyway, um, that and, and and the other, I think the other thing that's really important, one of the other things that I've learned, um, and it was from one of the people in my gratitude brought up, Eckhart Tolle, talks about being in the now, and being in the present, yeah. and not focusing on the future. Some people call it future tripping, whatever it may be. I think it's just so important to just really stay focused on what am I doing right this moment not what is going to happen next week. And certainly you have to make adjustments for what's going to happen next week, but it doesn't need to be something that you worry about or think about constantly because there's really not a whole lot you can do about some situations. Yeah. I want to share with you something I just read today um, that pertains to that because it said if we're not in the moment, so if we're either dwelling on things from the past that bother us or, you know, stay with us, or if we're worried about the things in the future, so that's anxiety, right, just future tripping, um, then whatever's going on around us, we're just moving through it out of habit. So we're just sort of, we're moving through our life on rote because we're, our brain is either in the past or in the future. And if you're moving through your life just by habit, um, the phrase I heard today was that habit contains no awareness. And I think I thought, wow, is that ever true for alcoholics? Because we, you know, we were numbing ourselves in the moment in order to sort of escape awareness. And in doing that, we were way too focused on our past hurts or our future anxieties. And for me, getting grounded in the moment and learning to really live in the present and whether it's gratitude that really pulls us into a moment or um, taking care of my body, which forces me to be in the moment and enjoy that moment, or whatever I'm doing to really try to bring myself back into the now. Um, that's That really is about that awareness and, and just breaking the habits, not just the habit of alcohol, but even just the habitual ways of thinking of things or processing things or the way we talk to ourselves or criticizing ourselves in third person, <laughs> you know. Yeah, all of these, all of these 
sort of habitual ways of being that if we're in the moment, we can go, wow, okay, wait a minute, I'm feeling this right now. What is that? Where's that coming from? What's that about? Let's let's feel this for a minute, and then we'll think about it after. And and it's it is utterly life changing to make that shift. Have you both it found is. that? <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And that that third person's voice can be so cruel and mean oh, and nasty. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's nice that when you're mentioning your gratitude group, Lisa, that you're you're bringing in other third-party voices. Um, I met somebody in recovery who said that she, you know, we all kind of have our committee of critics who sit there and say, you know, that's the little voice in the head that says you're not good enough and all of that, the worrying and future tripping. But then she said she's replaced it with a board of advocates and Mm. she's put, you know, a trusted group of people known to her or otherwise, you know, writers and philosophers and thinkers that are meaningful to her. And she's, she's asked herself, you know, what would that person say? Um, and so if we can do that and then you're, you're creating a board of advocates in real life through your recovery community, for example, in your gratitude group to have real life voices, you know, introducing a new thought. I was so obsessed with my thoughts. Like I thought that that was, I assumed that they were real. I assumed that I could never change them, you know? So whatever negative thought of like worrying about if I was future tripping, like that was just the way it was. And I didn't know that I could change that thought and therefore change my experience. And it it took other people saying like, pause, you know, let's talk about this and try to readjust my thinking. This is Jean. I love that board of advocates idea so much. That is, mm-hmm. just, I have to send a shout out to that dear listener who shared that concept with us because that is one of the favorite things that I have heard lately. Yeah, and another me too. another tool in addition to that is that when our inner critic is slamming us, we can say, um, "Hang on there, speak nicely to me," because our inner critic generally has our best interests at heart, but just has really bad communication skills. So it could be that your inner <laughs> right. critic like doesn't want you to embarrass yourself or or is fearing for your safety in a moment or, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's probably pushing against some kind of shame identity that you're feeling. So if you say, well, what would, you know, speak nicely to me. What is it you're trying to say there? And um, just rephrase that criticism. You know, I'm worried that blah, 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 or well, perhaps you shouldn't have done this because blah, blah, blah. And it just helps you come back into your thoughts and really realize where is that coming from and, and what is it? what am I afraid of when I hear that voice. Yeah, I thought that right. inner critic was right. Yeah. Was, yes. Like I thought that, that that was a good thing. I thought that was my subconscious talking to me and that was who I was really supposed to listen to. Yeah, and that the that yeah. the other part is myself wasn't me. I, I know it's kind of it's kind of complicated to say it that way, but the person that criticized me or whatever that voice was that criticized me, I thought that was correct. Yeah, and that was what I should right. listen to, and that I that it was it was good. I actually thought it was good for me to beat myself up. Yeah, that was right. good because if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't 
be a better person because I, I needed to hear it and I needed to remember it and not forget it, then that's how I would be a better person. And that's such a backwards way to think. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. common problem for high achievers, though, because we think, I agree. well, the reason I'm able to do all this stuff is because I do drive myself so hard. And the fact is you're doing all that stuff in spite of driving yourself so hard. Yeah. It's, it's not at all the way we think it is. But but we hang on to it because, yeah, you're right, we think it's it's our discipline or our character yeah. or something. And Lisa, I just as we're we're kind of coming out to the the top of the hour here, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that you have shared um, some documents that I think we're going to try to post on our website um, that are part of your toolbox and little resources that you thought our listeners might find helpful. Can you describe those, and uh, we'll we'll make sure that we, you know, get them out hopefully via Twitter and also on our website. Maybe. You could just explain what those are. Sure. I just um, I put together a couple things that um, I like to do, and I found that I enjoy. Um, I have a very creative personality, so I've been trying to find lots of different outlets for my creativity, and that has turned into just um, a way for me to find other tools that help me feel comfortable and maybe I feel like I might need an extra, an extra boost. So I put together um, some recipes. One is a, a a bath recipe with essential oils and some Epsom salts. And I just did it the other night and it was so fabulous. It was so incredible just to run a hot bath. And I lit a couple candles and I put on the spa station on Pandora radio and I closed the bathroom door and I locked it and turned out the lights. I didn't read. I normally try to read when I'm in the tub too and I just enjoyed it and it was so it was so fabulous my husband wanted to come in and I wouldn't let him in. <laughs> um he was like, What is going on in there? <laughs> um, not that I don't other times let him in, but that was that was my own little special time and right. it was just really it was really, really nice. So um I think that there's things that you can do for yourself that don't cost a lot of money. Um I have found that the more people I talk to in recovery, that spending money or financial issues sometimes are a problem as well. It certainly was for me, and it's something that I continue to work on. So um, getting a massage each week isn't necessarily something I can do. So I have to find some other things that I can do that make me feel kind of special. Um, that bath is one of them. I put a recipe on for some hot citrus tea that I really love with fresh ginger. And... Um, some sugar scrub that that I've made that I like to use in the shower, especially right now because it's so dry. My skin, oh, yeah. no matter how much water I drink or how much I slather on my body, I cannot. It just soaks up all the moisture. So it's a really nice sugar scrub that you can use in the shower. And all of these things are things that you can buy um, at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods and don't cost a lot of money. And once you have those supplies, if you have a little bottle of essential oil, you have some, um, uh, most people have sugar in their cabinet or um, you know, lime or lemon, or you can buy some Epsom salts even at the grocery store. Once you have those on hand, you can kind of change up the recipes and make them your own. So, and then I just, I put together a list of 
some of the self-care things that have helped me. And one of the things I probably should um, explain a little bit more on the practicing self-care on my list, I have a talisman bag of trinkets that have meaning to you. So my sister is um, a uh, in AA, and, and I am not. But after my first 30 days, she gave me a coin, an AA coin, and that meant so much to me. And um, I had a little stone that someone had given me one time from a river and a couple other things, and I put those all in a little black velvet bag, and I carried them around for my first couple months of sobriety, especially in the situations that I knew were going to be stressful, just so I had something to hold on to, that, okay, this is with me. I don't need that anymore. It's kind of like, you know, my security blanket. I, I grew out of it. But in the beginning months, I really needed that. So that's on that list, and, and there's some other things on there, too, that have just kind of helped me. Not all of them all the time, different days, different things, but um, they're just... They're just kind of gifts that I can give myself that make me feel like, okay, I don't drink wine, but I do this instead. Lisa, the pieces you created are so fabulous. Um, and Amanda is busily tweeting them right now for our listeners. So on Twitter, uh, we're at The Bubble Hour, and you can see those graphic pages coming up with the tea recipe and the bath recipe and some of the great things you're just mentioning. I think this is a bubble hour first that we've had a listener create this for us or a, a guest create um, info sheets like this for us. It's so great. Thank you so much for this. You're Thank welcome. You, Lisa. It was my and pleasure I'm, to give you something tangible. And I'm thinking how, you know, you said earlier that now you reserve your volunteer time for people who really have earned it. So I'm humbled and honored that we've earned <laughs> your time and creativity and certainly our listeners have. And um, that's amazing. And, and I love the tangible, how tangible the the bag of um, little touchstones are. That's, that's such a great thing to, something to really hold on to, to keep us grounded. And also the intentionality of rather than saying, to, like, here's how I could picture myself, like, working a really long day and putting in extra hours, and I would get myself in that resentful headspace of, like, I deserve wine. I love that there's intentionality that I can make a different choice and say, no, you know, I can go run a bath and do this. I can, there's something else that I can do to, you know, Fill that need of being comforted that's good for me. Um, yeah. And those are such beautiful ideas. Thank you. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. It's always my pleasure to give back to the community because you guys have given me so much. I would not be here without you and everyone else who's helped me along the way. So doing something like this is, is the way that I can give back, and it's just it's a pleasure to do so. And and I have to say, Lisa, that there's there's something personally that you do for me that helps so much that that I'm going to tell our <laughs> listeners that every <laughs> once in a while, I'll get a text from Lisa, but all it is is just a fist bump emoticon, and that's it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the day is cruising along, fist bump, and I know yeah. that Lisa B has my back, and I'm going to tell you, it always makes me so happy and really makes me feel 
connected. And, and that too is a little pause, you know, in my day that I can remember who I am, you know, remember my community, remember my sobriety. And, you know, that's this show. We always come back to the, um, how essential community is to our sobriety. And, um, you know, I know I speak for Jean as well, that we're so grateful to have you in our recovery community, Lisa. Well, I am honored to be part of it. Truly much happier to be on this side of it than where I was before. Honestly, I know. Beautiful community of people. Well, thank you. So as as we kind of, you know, close the hour tonight, let, let's go around and just say what everyone's key takeaway was. Jean, how about you? Um, it struck me as Lisa was, was talking tonight that Lisa's a woman of action. And we've talked on the show before about the stages of change and the pivotal moment in the stage of change is when we decide to take action. So Lisa... Um, When she started realizing she needed to change, she reached out, she wrote to me, she took action, she she changed her drinking, she told her family, she persevered through their doubts, Um, she she fought hard for her sobriety, she found other ways of support, Uh, I wrote all this down as she was speaking, she tried various pathways to recovery, she formed a gratitude practice, she actively practices self-care. So these are all actions, and... I think that is why Lisa's having so much great success in her recovery, not just with staying sober, but with transforming how she lives her life because she's willing to take action and she's willing also to let go as she outgrows things. Like you said, the tool of you know carrying your talisman bag with you um, worked very well, and then when she didn't need that anymore, she let that go and moved on to something else that served her in the moment. So... To me, this is a story of a woman of action and the results that that's yielding in her life. And a woman yeah, of gratitude inspiring. for her. I'm grateful, too. <laughs> no, super, super inspiring. And, and I have to say that that what I felt with that action, and then, you know, Lisa, you got to that place of space, of like opening up space in my mind and my heart and my spirit and my body and my physical space through all of that action and like in that all this gorgeous beautiful stuff that's just kind of swept into your life with the gratitude especially that's just been that's so beautiful thank you so i'll leave you with the last word what's your key takeaway oh gosh (laughs) i'm humbled actually i'm just i my key takeaway is i'm just humbled in this whole process and to have to sit back and really look, you know, be asked to look at the last 11 months is um, a a very humbling experience in itself. But I I guess my key takeaway continues to be gratitude and grateful that I'm here. I'm grateful to be sober. I'm grateful to have the friendships and the community that I formed with such amazing people. I didn't know there were amazing sober people out there until I became sober. <laughs> and so I I think all of those people that I've met along this journey have been angels. Oh, and I'm glad absolutely. to be part of it. Hashtag community keeps us sober. Yes. <laughs> well, Lisa, so grateful to have you back on the show tonight and it's just such a pleasure to talk to you and Jean and thank you both. I'm really inspired. Um, 
as always, a fabulous show. So as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. There you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and our email address, thebubblehour at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions. We thank all of you for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you have a great evening. Good night, ladies. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night.